follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaVariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician trained in Britain, living in Canada, and who's worked in the U.S., And since retiring from medical practice, I've become an activist for family caregiving, which explains the name of the show. Our topic today is young adults, mental health, and the justice system. Uh, Let's talk about mental health conditions for young adults. Conditions such as autism, fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, cerebral palsy, and schizophrenia. These all present serious problems. The problems arise from the mental health conditions which affect the way the young adults are, the way they react, and the way they behave. For example, a 20-year-old with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder may have a mental age of a 10-year-old child. Uh, A young adult with autism may be unable to speak. A young adult with schizophrenia may hear voices that other people cannot hear or um, see things that other people cannot see. These are the problems, and young adults have no control over them. They cause great difficulties for the young adult, the family, the family caregiver, and the justice system. So to talk with us to discuss these great difficulties, I have two guests. We welcome two guests, Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. Now, first of all, Gerard is um, a City of Winnipeg police officer with 24 years' service who turned to politics when he became a Liberal candidate in the October 2011 Manitoba provincial election. He spent much of his career in the North End and inner city of Winnipeg. He developed a passion for social issues during his 11 years within the community support unit. He has a keen interest in the prevention of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. He developed and implemented Project Breakaway, which allows police to coordinate intervention with healthcare providers and social agencies, particularly when working with homeless individuals. He also developed a community-based youth initiative called the North End Hockey Program in cooperation with a local Aboriginal agency. Our other guest, Bruce Ritchie. Bruce is moderator and CEO of FAS Link Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society. He's also a single father of a son who was diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome as an infant. 
and despite Grace great challenges. His son graduated from high school as an Ontario scholar and is now studying online for his BA degree and he's attending college. In 1991, Bruce was a founding director of the Fetal Alcohol Support Network, which evolved to become FAS Link Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society, which now serves more than 400,000 people annually. He's received the Toronto St. Michael's Award for pioneer work in the area of fetal alcohol spectrum disorders. And in 2007, he led the great FASD horseback ride across Canada. He's received eagle feathers from First Nations and the Métis Nation Honor Sash. Welcome to the show, Gerard and Bruce. Well, thank you for having us. Good. Now, I'm going to go straight away with, starting with Gerard, please. I'd like you to tell us more about your life and work as a police officer and your work with Project Breakaway. Gerard? Well, Dr. Adley, um, like you said, I've been with the police service for 24 years, uh, 22 years in inner city and north end. Um, the past 11 years uh, have been predominantly with the community support unit. Uh, it was there that I took a course called Criminal Prevention Through Environmental Design, which we call SEPTED. And this looks at the physical and the non-physical environment and how it affects social order. This course really changed my perception of policing and set me off on this relatively new form of crime prevention that has me here today. Um, I started Project Breakaway as a SEPTED leverage tool with two simple concepts. Um, in my mind, there were a lot of agencies involved with um, people that were living on the streets and who uh, were believed to be uh, predominantly fetal alcohol. And what I wanted was to bring all these agencies together to case manage individuals um, who I said were living on the street uh, and causing uh, frequent disorders in this, uh, the inner city of our city. My second goal was to have all the agencies at a table where we could have one unified voice in regards to prevention. It was something that I did not see in the government or any non-government organization that was um, that there was a real um, movement towards prevention. Gerard, we're going to be talking more about that in, a, in an upcoming segment. So. I'm going to just ask Bruce the same kind of question, but in relation to his life as the parent of a child with fetal alcohol spectrum disorder and his work with the Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society. Bruce? Oh, thank you, Gordon. Uh, well, <laughs> I've been at this for a little over 21 years now. Uh, my son was born 21 years ago with fetal alcohol syndrome. Uh, his uh, birth mother was a family physician. Uh, with a serious alcohol and prescription drug problem. Uh, it eventually did kill her. But when he was uh, four months old, uh, it was simply too dangerous to stay, so I had to pack him up and we left, um, which, of course, as I say, how hath no fury as a woman scorned and who went through a, a great deal of uh, problems uh, as a consequence of that. Uh, but he was able, I was able to have him diagnosed, David uh, diagnosed very young, which was uh, a blessing because the, the earlier the diagnosis, the better. 
and able to put together intensive interventions. Uh, probably one of the more difficult issues uh, was trying to get the interventions and trying to find people who actually knew how to deal with fetal alcohol disorders. Uh, quite frankly, back then, there were, uh, the professionals really didn't have any clue on how to deal with it. And so it ended up as a large number or a number of parents uh, getting together, and we started the Fetal Alcohol Support Network, which uh, eventually spawned many other support organizations across the country and down into the U.S., and led to the development of FastLink Fetal Alcohol Disorder Society. Right, we're uh, going to talk, as I said, we're going to talk more about that as well. Yeah. But we had uh, a lot of challenges uh, while my son was growing up, trying to use that, trying to get that information as to how we could uh, raise him appropriately. And fortunately, uh, through the evolution of FastLink, I've had uh, several thousand people help raise my child with me. That's what a great what a great comment, Gerard. How would you describe the young adults with mental health challenges, and how their problems present to the police? In other words, give us a picture of the, the these young adults. Well, doctor, um, generally speaking, the, the youth, young adults, and all, all are all over the place when it comes to social disorders and crimes. Most of the time, the crimes are committed at the spur of the moment. Usually the motive is unclear. Usually they are unable to match the extent that they will go to commit the actual crime as well as the extent to their attempts to flee from the crime. They will follow anyone that wants to be their friend and are unable to say no. Their lack of ability to reason on their own is obvious. They're easily led and influenced, difficulty linking cause and effect. They are vulnerable to gangs and any type of negative recruitment. They frequently forget about lessons learned on their actions. In other words, remorse is quickly forgotten. You know, and, and when you think about it, it's um, how it presents to police. I've taken uh, a suicide victim that's hung himself who was FASD. I've interviewed a six-year-old child who was FASD, and the suspect was FASD and was a, was a victim. So when we're talking about the, how they present themselves to police, it's always ugly situations, generally speaking, that we need to deal with. Right. I'm sorry to hasten you on, but we've got a break coming up, and I just no want worries. to break. Bruce, I want to hear from you about what you hear via the website about the problems of young adults with the police and the justice system and the kind of things that are discussed with the families of these young people. Oh, it's a, it's a continuous subject of discussion on the FastLink discussion forum. Uh, essentially, our kids have brain injury, and uh, you can't cure brain injury with punishment. Unfortunately, the justice system is primarily designed for behavior modification through punishment. Uh, that needs to change. Uh, but essentially, uh, you know, our, our kids constantly are impulsive. They don't predict consequences. Uh, neurologically, they can't learn from uh, past experience. Uh, most of them have severe short-term memory issues. They really do want to be, they are followers, they aren't instigators. Um, they have difficulty forming the intent to uh, commit a crime, and quite frankly, uh, part of the big problem is that they don't deal with abstract. 
if you abstract, uh, like time and value and law, uh, are those are all abstract concepts. While concrete is the object that may be removed or taken in an unauthorized fashion, um, but they don't see it as stealing type of thing. So this is the kind of issue. Our kids are working very concrete, and yet the world they have to function in is very abstract. Got it. Now, it is time for us to take the break. We do have to pay the rent. So this is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Please stay with us because we're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Voice America Variety Channel presents a program like no other for those in the field and interested in the field of security and training. On America's front lines of crime and war with Victory Defense Consulting, hosted by J.J. Sutton. Here, listeners are learning about tactical skills and practices that support efficient, smarter, and more enduring skills. You will receive the most up-to-date information about the security and training industry with detailed discussions and select special guests each week. Tune in to On America's Front Lines of Crime and War, Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The incidence of autism has increased at an alarming rate. Approximately 1 in 150 children are affected by autism, giving autism the undesired ranking as the most prevalent childhood developmental disorder in the U.S. 67 children will be diagnosed today. That is nearly one child every 20 minutes. Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica, hosted by Terry Aranga, illuminates how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. is treatable and given appropriate therapies, children are recovering. With well-known researchers and doctors, members of Congress, and expert service providers from a wide range of disciplines, Terry offers interviews and insights highlighting the progress in areas related to autism spectrum disorders such as biomedical research and treatment, communication, education, and behavioral modalities, sociological and philosophical issues, and legislative advocacy and insurance concerns. Autism One, a conversation of hope, broadcasts each Tuesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Autism One, a conversation of hope. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Help, you know I need someone. Help. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A. 
AMI.com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is Young Adults, Mental Health and the Justice System. So now let's talk about the ways in which the police and the justice system deal with young adults with mental health challenges. Now, first of all, Gerard, that's really the question. How does the justice system deal with the young adults we're talking about and with what successes and what consequences? Well, Dr. Adderley, um, the, the start of the system is the police. And um, we are not trained, it's not our expertise to diagnose suspects for psychological disorders. Um, unfortunately, but that's just not what we do. What we do is uh, we get a report of a crime, we investigate, and we arrest. Um, the court system and what we have in Manitoba, we do have an FASD justice committee that screen cases for potential FASD use that have not been diagnosed. If they feel that there is an individual that's potentially suffering from FASD, they will be diagnosed and helped through the system. For use that fall through that crack, like Bruce had said earlier, um, the justice system is, is really not the place for them, but there's no way of diagnosing them. Uh, there may be a point that crime is so serious that the sensing lawyer of the youth will ask for the youth to be go through the appropriate testing and for uh, pre, for a pre-sensing report so they could reduce the crime or reduce the sentence. Excuse me. As an adult, there is pre-screening. However, uh, that will be advocated by individual lawyers who uh, take up the issue. And however, there's you know a three to six month waiting list. We also yeah. have a drug drug treatment court uh, where the individual adult may be having an addiction, uh, but their base problem may be FASD. Um, right. we, we are on the verge of a mental health court that will be beginning in Manitoba, and that's where they'd be uh, taking care of uh, FASD persons. Right. Bruce, I'm going to ask you this question. North America, in North America generally, and Canada in particular, how serious in your mind, is this situation of young adults with mental health challenges who get into trouble with the police and justice system? And what are the consequences of that trouble? Well, the, the seriousness, it is hugely serious. It covers probably about half the total justice budget in this country. Uh, the reality is that uh, between 10 and 12 percent of uh, children are, have been exposed prenatally to enough alcohol and damaged enough for them to require special ed, special education in the education system. And those issues don't disappear as they get older. The kids don't grow out of it. But they, you know, they just translate to different problems with uh, family and jobs and society and eventually the justice system. So, you know, they've done some studies of the, uh, through the National Parole Board of the prison system, and when you take a look at the details, uh, it's likely that about half of our prisoners could be diagnosed with fetal alcohol disorders. We closed the, a lot of the mental health institutions. Um, we've uh, starved the mental health services, support services, of proper funding and essentially replaced those uh, facilities with prisons that are totally incapable of dealing with these issues. 
And so that, that has been, I really applaud the process that they're trying to develop in Manitoba. And they, uh, I wish we had that in Ontario. There are there's some efforts to try and do that. But uh, there simply needs to be more proper and proper funding put into it. Even the Canadian Bar Association in their resolution uh, 1002A last year uh, says basically the justice system isn't the place for individuals who are fasty. And quite frankly, they shouldn't have even been put through, in most cases, through the, the court system and come to a pre-sentence report. In most cases, they should have been diverted completely away from the court system. Okay. Gerard, how view this same question, how serious is the situation for these young adults from the perspectives of the police and the justice system? How seriously do you, how serious is the situation from those perspectives? You know, um, for the police, uh, and again, it's, um, we're, we're, we have a, uh, a relatively simple um, industry where we detect and we will uh, uh, arrest individuals that may commit a crime. It's up to the courts to determine, uh, yeah, you know, if there's a psychological or if the person did commit a, a criminal in, did commit a crime with criminal intent. Um, this is we, however, do not focus on the fine and subtle segments of a person's personalities um, may or may not be an indication of FASD. Um, that is not our purpose or expertise. If it's obvious that there is some sort of psychological problem, we will ask the, the, uh, have an assessment done by the Crown. Gerard, can I ask uh, what happens if an individual has already been diagnosed with fetal alcohol spectrum disorders and uh, the police services and the courts have been made aware of it even before the charges have been processed? When... Um in the Winnipeg Police Service, um, it, again, our policy, it's not us to determine that um, if the person is suffering from a psychological disorder. So we may have someone that we know is schizophrenia who is FASD, uh, but what we do is we do arrest and we process the person. It's up to the Crown then at that point to decide if this person needs to be assessed further um, and uh, how it, sh it should go through the court system. I right. Part of the problem I have with that, uh, to be honest, is, is that when an arrest is made, that triggers the requirement for counsel. And if if you've been, uh, if you know you have a, an individual with Downs, which uh, is physically obvious, um, you know you may not proceed to uh, actually. Uh, lay a charge. They may simply be returned to their caregiver. Um, that's what I'm asking about with uh, with Fasty. Uh, you know, Bruce. Uh, then you get into thousands God. and thousands of dollars of cost. Right, Gerard, you respond to that, please. Um, I, I totally agree with you. And um, on most parts, on most cases, we don't want to lay charges. However, when there's incidents where there is a real criminal act and the person is FASD, uh, we, because we're the officer of the court, this is our policy, we need to act and we will uh, bring this before the courts. The defense lawyer should be triggered, should be asked in the Crown, but charges, 
Well, that's going to be dependent on the Crown. If the Crown feels the charges should be delayed, they will be laid. And again, you know, you talk, Bruce, in regards to um, should this be in the justice system? And it's a very difficult question because there are really bad incidents that do occur, and um, the justice system is there. But then at some point you realize, well, did the person have criminal intent or is this a psychological or an FASD um, disorder? So I believe our systems are coming into conflict with the actual problem. It's partially a criminal issue that needs to be dealt with. Um, but like you said, the, uh, the community, the uh, mental health community has been starved and uh, they're not there really to take over. Now that raises a question for you, Bruce, is, well, okay, what help do the young adults need? The, the, the ones who get into the trouble with the police and the justice system, what help do they need from the healthcare system and how effective is this help when they get it? Bruce? Well, first of all, they need to be, they need to have a diagnosis available to them. Part of the problem with getting a FASD diagnosis is that it can cost the family $2,500 for the testing. It isn't fully covered by the uh, provincial uh, Medicare system like OHEP here in Ontario. Uh, so that alone is a, is a bit of a uh, dissuasion from getting a diagnosis. We also know that uh, in the case of uh, families raising a child with serious disabilities, 85% of them self-destruct, and you end up with a single parent trying to raise a child with major disabilities in horrendous financial and social conditions, which just uh, aggravates the problems either, even further. Uh, our young people need to be able to be diagnosed they need to have those facilities available. The budget needs to be put into that because we can save $85,000 a year if they don't have to be incarcerated. It would be a lot cheaper to diagnose it and deal with it when they're younger. Um, they need a mentor. I mean, they have brain injury. That's the way it is. And there are certain things that they simply cannot do. So they need an external brain and a, an adult mentor who can provide sage advice, perhaps look after their funding so that their rent gets paid when they're adults themselves and they don't end up living on the street. Uh, you know, that type of thing needs to be available to them. Uh, right. Early notice, uh, such as um, you know, a justice alert type program that notifies uh, the law enforcement and the Crown uh, in advance or very quickly when an incident occurs. But there, there are times when, uh, I have to agree with Gerard, I mean, there are times when the public needs protection from an individual, whether they have FASD or not. And there are times when individuals with FASD need to be protected from society, and we're not doing a good job of that. No, I totally agree with you on that, Bruce. Right. Gerard, just a quick question for you before we run into the break. You, if I understood you right, you arrest on the basis of intent to do the intent on the part of a person to do something bad or wrong. But these young adults we're talking about, and Bruce has made this very clear and you've agreed, can't be assessed on that basis because in certain respects they really do not have control over what they do. Gerard, have I interpreted you correctly in what I just said? Um. They, they, they have to be held accountable for, for 
what they do to a certain point. Um, but because they have brain damage, um, like Bruce had said, they just the consequences of spending time will do nothing for them. Does that answer right. that question? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it does. Um, not sure what that was, and I'm so sorry for the noise. Um, well, I'm going to take you the. Have a ten-year-old child, Bruce. I'm going to stop you because we'll take the break. We'll take the break now, and then we'll come back to this because it's a vital question. So let's take the short break. This is Dr. Gordon Adderley, and my guests are Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Uh, stay tuned. We're coming back. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah! If you'd like to talk, call us toll-free right now at 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. That's it. That's it. VoiceAmerica.com. The violent crime rate has begun to rise again. So what's more important than feeling at ease and secure in your daily life? With an optimistic perspective on a sober subject, crime prevention and personal safety expert Susan Bartlestone brings you the information, tips, resources, and inspiring success stories that will reduce your fear and restore your confidence. So stay tuned and stay safe with Crime Prevention 101 and Susan Bartlestone. Every Wednesday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, here on Voice America. It'd be a crime not to listen. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between, discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. There are a number of health and social services available to individuals for low cost or no cost. Now there's a radio program devoted to bringing you the information you need. Tune in to Outreach Today with host Melissa Jenkins-Simon. Our program promotes the benefits and services of CI Incorporated, providing health and social services over a wide spectrum of resources and agencies. We want to help you. Tune in to Outreach Today, Wednesdays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Help, you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at M-Y-M-O-N-A-M-I dot com. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is young adults, mental health, and the justice system. So let's talk about the challenges, more about the challenges for young adults with mental health conditions and the protections they need to avoid the kind of problems we've we've been talking about. So let's start with Bruce. What do you think are the greatest challenges in protecting 
young adults with mental health conditions from getting into trouble with the police and the justice system. One of the greatest. Well, let, let me let me describe. Start off by describing a, a, a very realistic scenario. In the criminal justice system, no charges can be laid on a child under the age of 11. Uh, or under 12, I guess, up to up to 11, it's uh, get out of jail free. And yet, our individuals with uh, fetal alcohol disorders, you can have one that is chronologically 20 years old, but functions at the level of a 10-year-old. And they have that, that same level of capacity of being able to make the decisions, form the intent, uh, and yet, we would not punish an individual who is chronologically 10 years old. We will punish one who is functioning as a 10-year-old but is a big person of 20 years old chronologically. That is a huge, huge issue. When, and it's a difficult thing for police officers as well. I mean, they're seeing this uh, full-grown adult um, <laughs> presenting to them in a, in a, in a a law enforcement situation, and they're having to deal with them, but not realizing that they are actually basically dealing with a 10-year-old. It also becomes a problem when, you, when you're dealing with an allegation, for example, of sexual assault. Uh, you know, what, our, our kids don't do subtle. They, they simply don't do it. And we have some courtship-type routines and social mores in which we have a particular intent, but we go through very um, skilled uh, ways of courting. Um, and that is fine and that is legal. Uh, individual, individuals with FASTI may simply uh, just sort of cut to the chase. Uh, they don't uh, understand personal barriers. They don't understand personal distance. They're impulsive. They're being uh, hormone-driven uh, and don't have the, the capacity, uh, you know, to really do, the, do things the subtle way. And as a result, they end up being charged with sexual assault for doing precisely what the rest of us do subtly with the same intent. Right. Very interesting point. Gerard, what do you think are the greatest challenges in protecting young adults in these, the, with these mental conditions, protecting them from getting into difficulties with the police in the first place? Well, sir, I, you know, I have to look at, um, at uh, management. Um, as uh, uh, Bruce had just said, you know, the, the people with FASD have uh, different rules in, in that are going through their, their minds. So in a perfect world uh, where money was not an issue, we'd have a whole team uh, that would be there to support each, each single person. It's not a perfect world, and there are limitations on, on financial support. The best is, is uh, would be a situation, uh, Bruce, Bruce and his family, um, there you have uh, care, and Bruce is there, uh, you know, 24-7 for his son, and that is the best case scenario for this bad situation. So the challenge for a young adult suffering from FASD is that there are no programming for them to help them steer away from the criminal world or the addiction world, unless, of course, there's, they are in custody. Um, after 18 years old, um, there's really nothing here in Manitoba. Um, in Project Breakaway, which I began the show with, um, I once spoke to a counselor in Winnipeg who uh, stated that uh, most of the uh, individuals on the street, and he said 100% of them, suffer from FASD. So when you leave them alone, 
they will just roam and structure, and structure and purpose in their lives is non-existent, and this will lead to problems with the justice system and, more often than not, new addictions. Right. Now, Bruce, I'm going to ask you what you think is needed and by whom to address the sorts of problems we've just been talking about, and particularly the ones that Gerard has just been talking about. What, what help do you think is needed? I think we, you know, basically dealing with issues of FASD and mental health really crosses um, the lines of a whole lot of different ministries uh, right across the country. And they need, our kids need medical help, medical diagnosis and intervention. They need a proper intervention in the education system and accommodations to help them get through so that they are not basically bullied out of an education, that they get an education and have some potential in the future, and they get the accommodations. Uh, we need a social services system that is knowledgeable and responsive to the issues of FASD, and we need education in the justice system uh, where, you know, the... The, the fly or the philosophy of uh, changing behavior by punishment uh, is taking another look at it as is it actually effective it's it's a huge effort by a whole lot of places in our in our society that is required if we can pull it off if we can get it done then we are going to save the taxpayers a huge huge amount of money Unfortunately, it will probably mean we'll have to close half the prisons because we won't have to send people to them. <laughs> That's a brilliant point. Now, Gerard, I want to ask you uh, this, this question, but looked at, again, from the point of view of the police. What would actually help the police? Um, what, what do you think they need to help them deal with young people who are getting into trouble for all the reasons that you've both been describing? What do, what do the police need? Again, you know, uh, Doctor, uh, uh, it's, it's a tricky uh, problem here. Um, the police really, uh, when we're investigating a crime, uh, it's difficult to say that we need actually something to help us deal with people with psychological or FASD problems because we have to realize that um, these persons that we're investigating may be innocent. So we have to actually uh, investigate. Just because you suffer from FASD does not mean that you're guilty because these, these young men and women do get themselves in a really bad place and so they need us there not only to investigate if they're guilty but also to investigate if they're innocent it's not that simple uh where you know yeah he's fasd so for sure he did it so we're there to investigate and it could be good or bad how we change that i don't know because again our job is about guilt and innocence after that, the Crown has to take over in regards to uh, all the information that we're able to, to dig up. Fair comment. I'm going back to Bruce. Are there any sort of information interventions or anything that you would see or advocate that might help the police in this question of assessing a situation that where there may be guilt, there may not, but to provide help to the police in handling that particular situation without prejudging. Bruce, what do you think? 
Well, we're we're working on putting together a program that will will essentially be able to provide a registry of individuals uh, that can voluntarily register uh, with a, essentially a, a justice alert type program. Uh, might have uh, dog tags or bracelet or whatever to uh, allow uh, police officers to access very quickly information that has been put um, by the individual and their caregivers on the registry uh, as a reference point for them to start working from. Uh, part of the issue as well is this issue of interrogation and questioning um, because you can, it's very easy to get our kids to confess to things that they didn't do because they like to please people and they have crappy short-term memory and they can't remember uh, often can't remember, in fact, what the facts were. So either they will try and fabricate something that, uh, you know, might, you know, fit for something that they can't remember, or they'll simply accept uh, an accusation and say, oh, yeah, I can't remember, so I must have done it. Uh, so these are uh, something like the Justice Alert program that we're trying to develop at this point might be of some help. And that's what we're trying to do. I think, I think a huge education program has to take a, take place among police and crowns. I think a lot of the social services are already trying to find more about uh, FASD, uh, but there's still a huge amount of um, knowledge that is still required on the justice in the justice system itself. Right, Gerard. I just want to come back to you on this. Um, if I'm not sure exactly what the justice alert system is, and um, let's just take it that it's some kind of information service. Is this something that you would see as potentially being helpful to police? In other words, for them to know more about the person they're dealing with without necessarily making any judgment about um, what's... Uh, uh, what's okay and what's not okay, what's, what intent was, who's guilty, who's not guilty. What do you think? Um, I, I, I totally agree with Bruce in regards to um, interrogation of um, people with FASD. Um, as a police officer, when I arrest someone, and um, the, number one is, you know, if you see certain signals in regards to it, that they are FASD, or, you know, you just really don't understand the motive, then I, I go overboard in regards to making sure that they know their rights, which is usually I go calling on the parents to, and I go pick them up before, and I bring them both uh, the parent and uh, the youth into the station. Um, that would be, um, having that information would be good for officers, because a lot of officers don't see past the crime itself. And uh, what will happen is that we will do the investigation, we will bring the person in, we will uh, take a statement from the person, and we think that um, it's all fine and dandy. However, down the road, we find out that it's FASD, and then the question is, did this person fully understand their rights to counsel before? So, yeah, if, if there was um, some sort of um, uh, list of individuals that suffer from it, uh, yeah, w that would be helpful for the investigation. How do I right. clone you and bring you to Ontario, Gerard? <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> well, well, we'll talk about that one later. I just want to make a quick comment back to both of you. We, we are talking about FAS, FASD, and that's perfectly proper because it's a major problem. But I think you would both agree with me that we're also talking about other mental health conditions of young adults, you know, like schizophrenia, like autism, maybe like cerebral palsy as well, even though their problems may be different and perhaps may not get them into such trouble as FASD does. Do you agree with what I just said, both of you? Well, I, I certainly do. I mean, the reality is that there are more than 60 medical conditions that are caused by prenatal exposure. Uh, many of them, uh, many, most of our kids uh, with FASD are not diagnosed, but they're always punished. Uh, you know, many times a child will be diagnosed with ADHD or ADD uh, or autism uh, when, in fact, uh, the issue is also FASD and there should be a concurrent diagnosis. Got it. Very quickly, Gerard, what do you think? Uh, am I right in saying that we're covering um, a, a spectrum of mental health conditions and not just FASD? Oh, without a question, as, as, as the youth ages, um, it, it becomes co-occurring uh, where there is uh, FASD, a new psychological uh, issue that he may develop, plus uh, other addictions. So, yes, it's, it's, um, it's huge in regards to as time progresses, the baggage that they carry gets heavier. Right. Now, it is time to take the break, so we'll do that right now. This is Dr. Gordon Adley, and my guests are Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stay tuned. We're coming back. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you ready to go green? You've asked, and we've heard you. Voice America presents the Green Talk Network. Environmental topics are at the forefront of our society, and the Green Talk Network is here to keep you up to date on the latest trends and new innovations for the eco-conscious lifestyle. We'll help promote a variety of ideas on the environment, from global warming issues to how you can become more eco-friendly in your daily activities. Be a part of the solution, not the problem. Visit the Green Talk Network page on voiceamerica.com and tune in to help spread the green. How has your belief system been formed? Has it been based on others telling you what to believe? Do you desire to make changes in your life that you know will bring you deeper fulfillment? Tune in to The Ripple Effect with Katherine Cloward for your weekly dose of inspiration and encouragement. Whether it be in your business, personal relationships, or family life, this show will help you recognize and trust your intuitive knowing. Catherine and her guests will help inspire you to make fulfilling choices for your life. The Ripple Effect is heard live every Thursday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com you know I need someone. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at mymonami.com. That's doc, letter G, at m-y-m-o-n-a-m-i dot com. 
Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Gerard Allard and Bruce Ritchie. Our topic is young adults, mental health, and the justice system. I want to talk now, our guests to comment on and talk about what needs to be done to help these young adults with the mental conditions avoid getting into trouble with the law. We've discussed a lot of things so far, but I want to kind of bring it together of main points of action that need doing. And I'm going to put you both on the spot. Bruce, let's suppose you're a politician seeking election. I'm going to ask you to say to the audience your main three points of things that you would like to see changed in our society that's going to address this problem. Bruce? We need to uh, take a look at the justice system and the way it's predicated now. And we frankly, uh, for about half of the people who are in the justice system that probably shouldn't be there, uh, we need the cooperation among the justice system with social services, the medical profession, the education profession. Uh, these are all critical. And so if I were in a position to do something about it, I would be looking at coordination of that between the various ministries. <clears throat> Where the support services are available, the results are very, very positive. Where they're lacking, the results are tragic. Right. Gerard, it's the same question. Politically, what do you think needs doing um, to bring about the kind of protection that's needed in the system for these young people? Gerard? Well, Gordon, I'll have to be honest. The number one thing I believe that needs to be done politically is we need to tackle prevention. Um, prevention uh, will uh, minimize the amount of uh, births of uh, individuals and would allow the system to spend more money on the individuals that are, that are afflicted with this. So in my mind, we need to get all the, um, the um, health agencies and the non-government organizations that deal with FASDs together to come up with prevention tactics to reduce the amount of births today. Um, it's extremely important. Number two is diagnosis. We, we know we, all these numbers are just bounced around all over the place because we don't know them. We need to uh, get the handle on how many people are actually being born with this. I really believe if we did that and that was made public, there'd be a little bit more action in regards to the prevention. Third, it's supports. After 18 here in Manitoba, there is no supports. And again, that costs money and, uh, but the, what's happening is the justice system is being asked to take over to deal with this situation. It is proper to a certain degree, but after that, like Bruce has said, um, the normal punishment does not work. And again, we don't know the diagnosis of everyone, so a lot of people just fall through the cracks and it's just a, uh, a downward spiral from there. Okay. These are two quick questions now. Bruce, uh, what can community organizations do to help? The non-government organizations, the organizations that are out there in the community, what can they do to help? Well, well Gordon, I'd actually like to respond a little bit to Gerard's comment Go ahead. about needing some numbers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> according to Statistics Canada's uh, Community Health Survey, if you put the math together uh, for uh, alcohol 
consumption at various ages and sexes, match it with the birth stats for the same period and population stats. 37% of our children are being exposed to binge drinking across Canada prenatally, and that's five or more drinks per occasion multiple times during pregnancy. An additional, well, only 21% of girls don't drink. And, you know, the reality is the first two or three months they don't know they're pregnant. And the, the child may have been to a dozen or so pretty serious parties. So we have a, a huge issue of, um, of kids being exposed. We, right across the country, roughly, 10%, roughly 20%, a little over 20% of our children require special education. The vast majority for conditions of types that are known to be uh, caused by prenatal exposure. Remember, there are more than, 20, more than 60 medical conditions caused by prenatal exposure to alcohol, and more than a 1,000 genes and cell processes affected. So, so Bruce, I'm just going to let me just interrupt you. It's a public health and an education issue that it's you're pointing issue. to, isn't it? Yes, yes. And, okay. yes, that people should be beating down the doors of the politicians to deal with this. Yeah, right. It is. You know, Health Canada tries to pretend that the incidence is 1%. Mm-hmm. The reality is that those of us who are in the industry and have been dealing with it for many, many years know that it's over 10% of the they general go. population and virtually all of the homeless population. Right. Now, Gerard, I want to just go back to the community organizations, and this is me one of the beliefs I have. I think that our communities have a lot to offer. I'm not sure about this particular topic, but basically I don't think we make enough use of the community efforts, the volunteers, the faith-based groups, and the the, the people who are concerned about what's going on in the communities. So, Gerard, what advice do you have for community organizations who want to help with the kind of problems we're talking about? Well, you know, my belief is this, uh, Doctor, that uh, no agency possesses uh, magical powers to make the world right. What we need to do is we have to organize um, and pool our resources, expertise, and strive for structure and a unified goal. Um, What we accomplished in in Project Breaker was that, sharing of information, uh, placing a plan for the individual, that all parties can participate in the role of, of the implementation of the plan. Um, I also believe that the community organizations learn from each other in a sense we learn to speak the same language. Too often we, uh, in community groups, um, we work within our bubble with the same clients and compete for the same government funding. Egos and kingdoms uh, building is alive and well in our society. In my opinion, that has to stop and because it, it really hurts the people that are out there. We need to have this team approach in regards to organization and not a cookie cutter in regards to organization where we all have our borders and we, we don't go past them. We have to think outside the box because the problem is now and it's today. And we have to utilize the tools that we have out there right now. So we have to make them work. Right. Bruce, community organizations, what's your view of their role? I think the community organizations want to help, and many of them are doing the best that they can with the personnel and the funding and the knowledge that they've been given, Um, and the mandates. Uh, Yes, I agree with Gerard. Uh, Little territories need to be ended. 
where a family has uh, respite care through special services at home, don't stop the worker from crossing the threshold to the school because the Ministry of Education's educational assistance will get their noses out of joint. Uh, territories and territorial boundaries do cause some serious problems out there. That needs to go away if we're going to deal with it. One thing we haven't mentioned as well in terms of prevention, the beverage alcohol industry contributes $3.2 billion a year in taxes to various levels of government in Canada. The damage the product causes uh, is over $55 billion a year. Now, you know, if you're going to play, you ought to pay. And quite frankly, there wouldn't be uh, a binge problem if a bottle of booze was 100 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Now, that's something for the future, but I just want to make a comment back to you both, and that's this, that I, I've been listening to these discussions. I've also been talking to family caregivers like Bruce and others, and also people like you, Gerard, who are deeply concerned. And what's clear is that mental health challenges among young people and within the community uh, represent a, a something that we're not doing well in Canada, and we're going to have to do better, partly because it's very unfair, partly because it's causing so many problems, and partly also because with the kind of stories that we hear and read in the newspapers and see on television about what goes on inside jails and what goes on inside, unfortunately, some healthcare facilities as well, we're left with a problem that we are not caring for people who really do need care because what goes wrong in their lives are things that they have no control over. So that's, the end of, that's my little contribution to this great debate, the great discussion we've just had. So I want to say thank you to our listeners. Please a email us with your comments and questions. And I want to say a particular thank you to Gerard and Bruce um, for their forthrightness and their political courage in sharing with us not only their experience and their insights, but also their sense of what's got to happen to make things better. So to both of you, I wish you all every, every success in your work. Now, in our next episode, we're going to be talking about family feuding. Please join us, same time, same spot on the Internet. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 